following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Okay, so we are... Uh, today's topic is a, is, is a tough one. It's not so simple. And we're going to try to figure it out together. Um, we've got, we want to discuss, want to, I would like to discuss the issue of uh, when donations are made um, to charitable organizations, or not necessarily charitable organizations, but, um, and then it's found out that the money was ill-gotten. Okay, so the issue then becomes... Um, the money was ill-gotten, or the charitable organization used it for ill-gotten reasons? Yeah, Let's stick to the time. For the Stanford or Madoff. Exactly. Right, exactly. So you have, uh, exactly, Stanford, Madoff, who, who uh, let's say, made large donations um, to, to charitable organizations, as they did. And then the question now becomes, um, can, are the organizations, uh, do they have any obligation to return that money to the investors, the people that were both out of that money? They, um, this has come up with Madoff gave extensive charity, um, including Yeshiva University, gave millions of dollars too, and this has come back. There's, as we know, there's clawback laws, um, in, in, uh, and the question is how it applies uh, to charitable organizations, and we're going to discuss specifically what the Torah's view is on that. So I don't know the the, realm, the state laws as well. Um, it happened a lot here too during the Enron. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, we won't mention names. I mean, there, there is, yes, it did happen in Houston. That was, uh, that was a long time ago. You're going with the assumption that the charitable institution didn't know it was ill-gotten money when they accepted the donation. Well, we're going to discuss that. That's part of the okay. equation. Okay. That's what? important. Different, that's important. Yeah, yeah, that's a very important point, but... But, um, well, I tell them all the time they take my donations and my money is ill-gotten. <laughs> they still take it. <laughs> never heard them turn no, it down once. I can't believe you anyone than Blake Trump. Okay, so if we're on top of the page here, it's, uh, it says, what is, how would you respond? Why is the Jewish law in clawbacks where investors who receive phantom profits are required to return them? So it's not only, the question obviously is not only relevant to charitable organizations, although that will be a large part of the discussion. Um, and the question, second question is, must the charity return funds donated by a Ponzi scheme? Okay, so, so first, just to understand some basic uh, theft laws. Um, so normally, the way it works is, if a thief um, steals something, this is, again, we're coming from the Jewish law perspective, a thief steals something, the victim still retains ownership in the normal circumstances, as we'll see. That means, um, just because it's in someone else's possession, um, it's still owned by its original owner, whatever the item being stolen is. If the thief then sells the item to an innocent third party, the victim should be able to recover his belongings and the purchaser would need to recoup his loss from the thief. Okay, so technically speaking, since, as we're saying, it doesn't legally change hands, again, according to Jewish law, um, when a thief gives something to someone else, it's still, it's still, well, when a thief steals something, he is not, he still legally belongs to the victim, okay? So therefore, even if he goes ahead and sells it, based on this, the person, the original victim, would have a right to go straight to the buyer and recoup um, his stolen object, okay? Um, so 
That makes sense. So far, so good. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so the based on this, really, what did like the famous um, adage we all say is, you know, sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. So that wouldn't work. Meaning, if I go ahead, which technically I don't have a right to sell you the, the Brooklyn Bridge, I sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. So you really don't own it, obviously, because I had it wasn't mine to sell you. So I was a thief, right? I so I went to an attorney, I put a sign a contract with you for the Brooklyn Bridge, you don't really own the Brooklyn Bridge, obviously. Okay, that's really, in essence, what we're saying here. The, the item, the stolen object remains, but still belongs to the original owner. Okay? Um, so we're not talking about Ponzi schemes yet, we'll get there, but now there was an issue with this in Talmudic times. They had a problem with this, and therefore they changed this. So technically, that's the way it should work. What happened was, there was something that um, the Talmud talks about now called Takanat Hashuk, which means it was a regulation to rectify the market. They were concerned that if this is true, that every time someone sells something, people, the buyer is always going to have to start checking into whether this is a stolen item, whether it's not a stolen item, how that works. So it's going to affect everyday commerce, okay, in the marketplace, because people are going to be nervous to buy stuff, because if it's stolen now, they know it can just be taken back. So therefore, um, due to this concept known as takanata shuk, shuk means a marketplace, okay, so the, the uh, regulation of the marketplace, um, what they said was um, that, and I'll read it to you here, it says an innocent purchaser who is unaware, and this is the key point that Alan brought up, if he's unaware when he bought the item, when he was purchasing that it was stolen goods, he need not return it to the owners. Because normally, by the way, there is another biblical law, which is called Hashavat Hagzela. That means anytime you steal something, there's an obligation to return it. Besides, obviously, do not steal. Obviously, you're not supposed to steal, but you now have an obligation to return it. Now that, as we're saying, so now if, even if you're a third party and you get, you get a hold of stolen goods, not knowing that it was stolen, you purchased them, and then technically you now would have that obligation to return it to its rightful owner. What we're saying is because of this issue of the concern for commerce that would affect the markets in those days, therefore they said you have no obligation to return it. Meaning even if you find out at a later point it's stolen goods, that's not your obligation as a third party to return it. Unless he's reimbursed for his purchase price. Only if the thief or someone else reimburses them for the purchase of the goods, that's the only time he has an obligation to return the stolen goods. We're talking about a third party, not the thief. He obviously doesn't get reimbursed for returning stolen goods. Okay? So, so again, the, the, the key point here is it has to be unaware that he was purchasing stolen goods, as Alan mentioned. Um, so, meaning, so if you're in the streets of Manhattan and a guy comes over to you and goes, You want to buy a watch? and he has 12 Rolexes on his arm. So, in that case, the assumption is you have to, the, the assumption is for those of us who grew up in New York, you know that, that uh, that's not a clean Rolex. Okay? It's what we call hot Rolex, and therefore you wouldn't be able, if you bought that and then it was, you found out again who the original owner was, you'd have to go and return it. Okay, that wouldn't, you wouldn't get, the Takanta Shuk wouldn't work in that case. So you have to be, again, an innocent purchaser, un unknown that it's stolen. Um, the purpose of this is that it enables a person to recover lost property, um, yet prevents a person from suffering a loss if he made a purchase in good faith. So as long as I made a purchase in good faith, even though at a later point it's um, found that this was stolen goods, the, the halacha says that you, um, you do not have to take a loss on that item. Okay? 
Good faith means that he did not know and had no reason to know that the merchandise was stolen. Okay, there's no reason to assume it was stolen. Again, if you're if someone's going like this and selling stuff off the back of a truck um, in, in Chinatown, so then you need then the assumption is it might be stolen. Okay, and I don't mean Chinatown here. It's Chinatown, New York. That's where all the Jews live. He doesn't have to find. Uh, no, nobody has to go find it. Go. He just stole it, isn't it? Stole it. How that's, did they? Come that's to the point. No, I'm saying, let's say at a later point, uh, the police come to you and say, and say this item was stolen. <coughs> so you don't have to take a loss to return it, meaning the, the original victim can't come and take it back from you, unless you get reimbursed. That's what we're saying. Okay? So it's not your obligation to find out if it's stolen, but it if it's like obvious that it was stolen... Like Okay, so, so again, good faith means he did not know, he had no reason to know that the merchandise was stolen. Concern was that if inadvertently buying a stolen object would result in a total loss, people would be reluctant to buy merchandise, general commerce would suffer. So again, this is, in Talmudic times, this is the, uh, the takana they made at the time. Um, so again, as we mentioned, if he had knowledge of the theft, but if you knew at the time that this was ill-gotten, that this was stolen, um, or uh, or purchase made under suspicious circumstances, and this wouldn't be applicable. The takana the takana takana tashuk, as we're discussing, would not be applicable, and therefore you'd have to return it even at a loss. If the again, if the, the the purchase was not made in good faith. Okay, so far so good. Um, now another another exception to this would be would be a gift. Okay, this is very relevant to charity, obviously. So if you you, you received it as a gift, so then this whole application, this regulation um, of the shuk is irrelevant. Why? Because the concern, the reason why they said this, really was saying everything belongs to its original owner, wherever it was stolen from. So really you would have to return it as soon as you get it. But because of the concern of the effect <coughs> it would have on commerce, that's why they changed the rule, changed the law. Now if you're getting it as a gift, so there's no commercial concern. How are you? There's no issue of commerce. It's not going to affect commerce in any which way because, because um, there's a lady plate. Okay, so so in a case where it was um, where you're receiving the item as a gift, so in that situation, there's no uh, there's no issue of commerce, and therefore the regulation of the shuk um, rectification of the market, as they're calling it, would not be relevant in that situation because it's, it's not an issue of commerce. You received it as a gift. Okay? So now, um, the question becomes now when it comes to um, when it comes to charities, so one can make the argument it's always really a gift. There's no commerce um, when you're dealing with, with charity. Okay? If I come to a charity, I'm giving them a gift. Okay? So in that situation, the, what we're saying is by the letter of the law, the original owner of that money um, let's say the investor in a Ponzi scheme technically should be able to come back to the to the receiver of the gift because the the rectification of the market that we're talking about is irrelevant in that case because there's no commerce from giving charity. It's not, an, it's not a commerce issue. Um, as you see, it's not so simple. So, are you rushing? Everyone's still eating. Yeah, still, I'm still eating. Bridget, relax. I'm rushing everyone. I need, uh, you know, fillers, people chewing it. I don't ask as many questions. I'm still eating. Okay, so, um, you take another plate.
have the same. I already told him. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm taking care of him. Okay. Um, um, by the way, I, just, I forgot to say a disclaimer in the beginning, which obviously these are very complex laws. So if anyone has a specific case um, that they have uh, a real issue with, please discuss it with me or, or Alan. Don't, uh, don't act based on what we're saying here in the class. Okay? That's my legal disclaimer. Okay, so now, so again, so the issue would be, if we're saying, as we're saying, it's received as a gift, and technically speaking, this, this law... Um, wouldn't be applicable, and therefore the original owner would have the right to go straight to the receiver of the gift and, and claw back the money. Okay, um, but as we'll see soon, it's not it's not so simple, and we'll explain. So so no, look at number three here. So there's another case I found in the Talmud. Talmud discusses a manager um, who it says who um, quote unquote generously gave an an authorized gift from his investors' funds. Okay, so you have a manager, someone has someone's funds, he's, keep, he's holding on to them, and he gives an unauthorized gift, um, again, assuming it's charity. So the question is, so the Shulchan Aruch and the Talmud rules that the recipient must return the gift. I'm assuming it's based on what we're saying here, because again, there's no, you don't have this aspect of the rectification of the market, because it's not commerce. Again, charitable gift is not considered commerce, and therefore, um, you wouldn't have that exception that we're talking about where you'd have to be reimbursed for what you got, okay? So now there is a lot of discussion, different opinions, like you said, the Machlokis, um, as to whether, there we go, who, how to define this. So, so some interpret this uh, in the Code of Jewish Law um, as regardless of whether we knew it was stolen or not. As we said before, it would depend really if you knew at the time it was stolen, um, if you didn't know at the time, so if it's in good faith, maybe it shouldn't be, then you wouldn't have to return it. So the Shach, one of the commentaries on the Code of Jewish Law, says it's irrelevant. Regardless of whether he knew it was stolen or not, he still would have to return it. Um, another opinion says, no, he's only liable if he's unaware it was stolen. Okay? Now, if, um, now another big issue, very relevant, again, it's getting complicated, very, very relevant in Jewish law is like this. When you steal something, normally, um, the way it works is the assumption is as long as that this rule that we're saying everything belongs to its original owner, that's only if what you stole is still extent. I don't know, is that a, the legal uh, term? Yeah. Extent. Extent. Well, let's go with the word existing. Existing. Okay. No, well, not only existing. I, I, I donate to him five hundred thousand dollars from a fund that I have no right to. If he takes that money and builds something, he can't return it to me. Right, well, even more than that. Well, let's, let's start with a simple case before we get to the $500,000 donation you're going to make. Let's talk about a simple case, and we'll get to your donation. Um, the, 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 the case would be simple. Let's say I stole a watch, okay? So as long as it's the same watch I have in my possession, technically that, if when the victim comes forth, I have to return that watch to him. But once I make any changes to the watch, Let's say I put on a, you know, it's, a, it's an iPhone, I put on a plastic piece, I put a case, something, I, I make a change in the item, so we no longer, with that, what's called a shinoi, a change, you acquire ownership. The thief requires ownership. doesn't mean he doesn't have to return what he stole, but that's no longer the item he stole. It's like you're saying, at this point, if I take, if I steal money and then I, I build something with it, so I, that money is not so, in existence anymore. So if you steal a car, then just change the windshield wiper, it's now my car because it's It's your car, but you, you have to reimburse the original owner for the car. The point is, at this point, you're not obligated to give him back the car, 
his car because it's no longer his car. You have to pay him for whatever the value of what you stole is. But you don't have to give him back the car. Well, I didn't steal it. Someone stole it. No, I'm talking about even if you did. I'm saying the point is even a thief who stole something, he only, in, at least in Jewish law, the way it works is the object is still owned by the original owner if it's, like you're saying, the word is extent. It's, it's still in existence. Once it's, a change is made to the stolen object, the same in, in America? Yeah. Same in America. Oh, what do you mean? Saying, how, how can that be? How can the guy not get back his car? Oh. He gets the value of the He gets car. the value, but not the car. That's know. what we're saying. I, I, that's hard to believe. How does the guy not... I don't care if he picks up my car. I want my car back. I would think I'm... Well, that's the point. It's, it's, first of all, number one, legally we're saying it's not yours anymore once I do something to make and make a change in the item. You stole my car and you make changes to it you don't think I'm entitled to my car back? Again, you're entitled to your car, but not this car per se. Okay. Meaning you're entitled to the guy. I stole a, a $40,000 object for you, so I have to give you back $40,000. That's the question. Meaning if I steal something from you, do I have to give you back that item I stole, or do I have to give you back money? Let's say take cash. Let's say I stole cash. You didn't tell me I have to give you back well, you the cash that it. I stole? You can't change it. And even if I didn't change anything, do I have to give you back the cash? The same cash exact is, dollar bill, you mean? Right. Do I have to give you back the same paper that I stole from you? No. It's the value. I'm giving you back other cash. That's fine. Well, that's fun. It's the value. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> explain your, explain your problem. Yeah. The logic is, so if I tell the thief, hey, if you make a change to this, you're going to get to keep that car, and then you're going to have to pay back the value. The guy's not going to have the value, and so I want my car back. The guy's so, not going to write me a check for 20 grand. Oh, well, let's see. We're talking about Listen, you can if you can't, then you have a right to take, to take the car. I don't think it's my option. I don't think I have to phone my car back. So I'm telling you, in Jewish law, so I'm, not, I'm not making the stuff. Law, I, I, I don't know. So I can't answer my question. Could be. I just have a hard time believing that. Doesn't make any logic for me. Any any uh, attorneys that want to speak up? Somebody wrongs you. That doesn't mean they should get to pick or choose what, what they're doing. I agree. Then, then I'm losing the value. You're going to argue with me on what value I'm supposed to just give me my car back. Oh, so that's assessed by the court. That's not yours, Blue, Kelly Blue Book or whatever. Mm -hmm. that's that's but if his car has some unique value, like yeah, him, so that's fine. That's anything. It's a heirloom. That's anything. Yes, that's anything. I don't want to have to go to the car dealer ever again. Yeah, you know, I hate that experience. No, I like my car. I want yeah, my car listen, back. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you logically. No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm logically, I hear what you're saying. The point American is, law, how could that be? The, the, I don't know American law. Can't tell you what. I, no, I don't know. I don't know the law. I'm saying I'm uh, hard okay. time believing that I wouldn't be entitled to request my car. So, Sally, what are you referring to? Reimburse that guy for some difference in value, maybe, but it seemed like it's my right to have my car back. Charlie, what we was, when you said no, I'm saying you changed it's, it's not an extent. <coughs> it's kind of a problem. That's true. I if there's a material alteration the car, somebody else that the person sold it to, to you or to the other party, and then you find out later that, hey, this car is mine, used to be mine. So do you have the right to get it back? You added, you added a new element. Fair enough. You added a third party. Yeah, right. Our, fair enough. I'm saying without the third party, the crook doesn't have, shouldn't have their any any better right than I have. And so yeah, I, I love the better right. He's an independent guy you bought. Um, Let's say I, I steal that, your that's car. That's a fair point, though. That's different. That's it. I'm, no, I make a distinction. That's a fair point. The guy paid, you paid good value to this crook. Well, but the car was yours. What's that? The car was uh, yours in good condition. And All right, it doesn't sound to be the, 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 the person. He's saying that's a different issue because that's yeah. a third party. He was saying even in two parties, his problem is you stole his car, you have to give back his car. I'm saying is if you pimped up his car after you stole it, then you don't have to give it back. 
and like, it's really, doesn't mean, with me. Sometimes you might not want it. I mean, that's exactly the point. I think the fact that I'm making a change, right? If I pimped up your car now and you have these big, you know, spokes sticking out so, the side, big, uh, right, and, and I painted it hot pink, <laughs> you're not going to want the. I acquired it by doing a material change, as Elliot was saying. The fact that I made a material change in the stolen item, you might not want that. If anything, hey, it's I for your benefit. I would want the right thing. Okay, so that's a good, Otherwise, that's a good point. Otherwise, I would be crooks to go make the material change to everything. If, the, if that's the deal. <laughs> but I'm again, they're not gaining. They're not benefiting oh. in the sense. They're not benefiting. They're still going to have to pay out the cash. Which lots of times is not a benefit. It's not a benefit for the crook. You're saying sometimes you want that option. I'm saying, but it's not, a, it's not like they're gaining from it. not collecting the cash. Okay, I understand. The real world. What if he doesn't have the money? To no, pay of course. Back? If he's no, the, if the person doesn't have cash to pay back, then of course you can in take back your world, car. I don't see anybody getting. They do a no, David. Uh, David, no, you're missing point. You're if, saying if he doesn't course, pay me, I get Yeah, of course. That's not, that's not. But it's not because you're getting back your car. It's because, like anyone, they owe you money and they don't have. They can't pay it. So then you have a right to take their goods instead of the money. But it's not your car. The point is legally. You no longer own that car. How is okay. That's what I'm saying. I just hate that concept. Yeah. That I, gotta argue, I gotta argue with the value of my car that you stole from me. It's just I'm in a. I'm, I'm not arguing. It. It's a court. I just don't no like argue. it. Okay. Yeah, he just like. found out that X Y Z stole the car and that he sold. Now I gotta worry that the guy pimped up the car. Not only did he steal the car, now he pimped <laughs> yeah, up the that. car. So now I don't have the right to my own car back. Okay. I said, what's wrong with this law? I, I said, tell you, yeah, I promise you're not gonna want the car back after he pimps it up. <laughs> okay. Break you're not gonna want. Why well, it's not going to let you drive it? Well, it's okay. not going to come to it. Okay. I like my car. So now, so, <laughs> that's why I put down here D. If there was a material change, the victim has no claim and can only recover from the thief. So meaning, again, you only have recovery, but you can, you have no claim. Um, so, so for surely with a third party, switching to the third party case, that, you, that, that Mr. Sim was asking. But you can't go and sue him. Sue him, he could always do. And then he has the right. Sue him, he could always do. But yeah. we're talking about what, what rights do you have and get what, what can you get back from him. So what, what he's saying here is, to, again, if there's a material change, the victim has no claim and can only recover from the thief. So the victim can't go to the third party because once there was a change, again, either the thief or the third party, um, and the assumption is once the third party changed hands, so the thief no longer owns it. Um, or sorry, the original owner no longer owns it. Um, and therefore, he can't um, he can't go into the third party and make a claim. Is, is what we're saying here. So that's a, that's a, to answer your question. I remember the example when someone stole grain, oh. and the grain was transformed into bread. Does right. he get the bread back or the value of the grain? Right. He enhanced so, the grain so by no really changing he, the he, grain. And the law was, if I'm not mistaken, you only get the value of the grain. Exactly. You Once you make a change, you, you own it. It's a good. I'm happy you bring that up. I just remember it's related to, uh, to Passover. You don't bow down to. You say in America. You don't bow down to. I was in law school. That's Regular. Okay. That was a long time ago. So if you feed the grain. That was a long time ago. They had bread then. You just give the guy the cow poop back and say that it's materially changed. Elliot, you don't get the cow. You don't get the cow. Elliot, you went to law school a long time ago. They had bread. I don't know if the law has changed. Bread? That was an example. They did have bread when he was doing yeah. <laughs> that. You get the value of the that's grain, you don't get the enhancement. Right. Yeah, that's the same so thing. So he materially as changes your car by putting new engine in it. You don't get your car back. But he gets the value of that car. Right. Because it was the value of the, the car. 
Hey, because once they pimp it up, now it's more value. Is that a Friday or a situation? I hear you. Well, I'm saying I would want my car back, but maybe I have to pay the difference in value. I should get it. What? You don't get an enrichment. You don't get an enrichment. No, but he's saying, I want the car and I'll pay for the enrichment. With the improvement you made, the modification? He'll pay for the happy. That should be the deal. I should have the right to my car back. No, it puts a burden on you. But I don't get a benefit out of it. I agree. What? That puts a burden on you to have the money to pay for the enrichment. Agree either way, but I say don't have. Option, they don't have the money they can get my car back. I want the right. I want the right example. The grain is born. So your choice is either pay for the grain. But that's the point. Here, once you pimp up the car, the car is gone. That's the same example. The grain is gone. Once you pimp up the car, the car is gone. But you still have the value. Not the same car. You have to pay for the value. Like the bread. Have any money? You have to give them the the bread. You don't have to like it. It becomes that works out. If you can't accept the benefits, the bad guy is collateral to the deal. The guy who does wrongs shouldn't be the guy. Again, it's not benefit. It's not necessarily benefit. Has the card. Yeah. That I don't have a problem with. I have a problem with yeah, the th And that was still the discussion was right. still. I, I, made it, I wasn't having a problem with the third independent party. third party who bought it for fair value without notice. I have a problem with the thief. I find the thief. And I got to worry about the guy who handles what I own to get it back. Number one, do I have a right to get it back? I mean, that's. I hear you. I'm not saying I should give you unjustly. You have, have to, the option. You have, back then when they wrote the law, it was like hoofing a, you know, they put hoofs on a horse or something. It wasn't like that much enhancements. Like it is today. I mean, yeah. Man, yeah. It's totally said it. It's totally said They didn't have wagons back then. Nah, First one, he, he doesn't have to trust you that this car was yours. After well, we're assuming it three is. months or something, you didn't see oh, it. He has a, he has a, he has title he has title. Yes, yeah. So now there's a situation, me. how are you going to verify title. This, well, that, that he hasn't got the title? He has a title, he's with his car. Yeah, I have the title. He has a good title to the car. Plus, plus, this thing is a GPS tracking. So, it's another. It's actually relevant now that Ellie brought up bread. It's relevant to Passover. I'm just going to throw this in here because there is actually an issue. Let's say you steal matzah. Okay, now we discussed this here in the past. Let's say anytime you steal something, you can't do a mitzvah. It's expensive. It's 23 bucks a pound. The hand stuff. Stuff the track so brings you is twenty three bucks a pound. So uh, so the point is, let's say you you steal uh, anything for a mitzvah. If you steal something and you perform a mitzvah with that item, so it says the mitzvah is invalid. Okay, you steal tefillin and you put on tefillin, it's an invalid mitzvah. But um, if you if you stole it and then, as we're saying, made a material change in the object, so now it's yours. Meaning the point is, I can't perform a mitzvah with something that uh, stolen goods because that's disgusting. God, you know, you're you're serving God with stolen goods. But once you, you material stole made to fill, and that makes it a mitzvah. No, the point is, the only time it's it's not considered a mitzvah is when you the act, the sin, and the mitzvah come simultaneously. But let's say I stole it, and then I now I make a material change. So now, so now it's mine. It happens to be yes, it has a history. This was a stolen object in the past. But now when I'm performing the mitzvah, it's it's completely mine. So then it's a valid mitzvah. We're not saying we're not condoning it. We're not saying you should go steal, steal a matzah. Right. What we're saying is, we're just saying as far as, do you have to re-perform the mitzvah? Meaning, if you ate matzah on Passover night and it was stolen matzah, so it didn't count. You have to redo the mitzvah. You have to eat another, another uh, uh, you know, pound of matzah. But what we're saying is, if, if you made a material change, 
to the like item. No, so the, so what they say is <laughs> when you chew it. No, when you're chewing it. So that in itself is you ready. It's a material change. I can't return the matzah at that point. Once it's in my mouth. I can no longer return the matzah to, the, to its right form. So the material change. So the key to bypass so the, in Jew, the key in Jewish law is make material change, and you don't have to be responsible for it. Oh, again, you're responsible. I have to return the value, but I don't have this item no longer belongs to its original. All we're saying it's a legal ownership change. But Once I he, make a material change, we're I not think, saying you're no longer responsible. Of course, you're responsible. I you have to pay like back that the value. Usually goes to auditor, you know, and then they make up sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, so the so the point is now, so, so that's what's relevant. With everything you read in this, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could lose my job if I wouldn't agree. No, you it's in my contract. You have your own you opinion. Job. That's true. <laughs> okay. The other example they had in you take the grain, you pour it in the silo with other grain, you can't get the grain back. Can't There's no way of tracing back that because that grain you you blow up. Oh, so we're going to talk about that too. So that's a very good point. It was commingled. Yes, we're going to get that's very relevant to. To, pans, to Ponzi schemes, that's very so that's relevant. Yes, earlier, that's exactly what we're going to be. The matzo where you can put it in with a little bit of matzo. I took your money and I put it in my bank account. Yes, we're going to talk about exactly. Exactly. We're going to get there. That's exactly the point. Yeah, you still could. Right. You can identify my car. But you can't identify your money when I still have my account. Which money was yours? Well, nobody cares. Right. I'm saying if I can identify my car. I, I mean, I'm just doing No, but that's something else. Yeah, He's saying there's two things. There's a material change. That's one way of ownership changing hands. No, it no longer is that original item. Number two is if it's commingled with, let's say, look, right. we put a deposit in a bank nah. account. We're going to talk about it in a second. So once it's in the bank account, it now no longer is distinguishable, meaning it's a separate, two separate issues, which have the same result, right. which means it legally no longer belongs to the original thief. That's all. That's what we're saying. You mean the original owner? The oligarch. Original owner. Yes. Sorry. Okay. So now, so now let's let's apply this these principles now to the Ponzi scheme question. Okay. okay. So if you look at number four, it says um, so if the scammer. So the question like would be like this: You have a Ponzi scheme. So if he paid early investors, quote unquote, profits, which were illusory, meaning they were stolen, they were just taken from the other investors. So they are treated like a gift to the investor, even though he took it in good faith. So now I'm, I'm receiving, I'm an investor, forget, forget charity for a second. I'm an investor, and it turns out to be a Ponzi scheme at the end. Originally, when I'm taking the returns on my investment, I'm taking it in good faith. I have no idea there's a Ponzi scheme going on here. Let's assume, okay, in most cases, in many cases. So you had no idea, again, that Madoff was ripping off other people. So you, you're accepting your, your returns on your investment. So you took it in good faith, but what we said before, that is low, if, if it's a gift, so the fact that he took it in good faith might not be relevant because it's not commerce. Now, you could make the argument it is commerce. I have uh, an agreement with Madoff. We have a contractual agreement. But the point is the whole thing was a scam, so that contractual agreement is really doesn't exist. So then all you're getting, when you're getting your return on your investment, quote-unquote, your profit, you're just getting a gift from Madoff. Because there's nothing to do with your earnings. With your earnings, there's no real earnings here. The whole thing is one fiction. big scam. Right. So one big fiction. Therefore, we would view it as a gift. Technically, what I'm saying is, we can view that as a gift because it's a scam. And therefore, um, if it's viewed as a gift, what we said was, um, everyone would agree you would have to return it to its original owner. So meaning then the investors would have a right to come to the third party who received it from Adolf and happened. take back the money. That's what's happening in the matter. Yeah, it right. is happening. Well, we're saying, but even more than, we're going to see, it's even uh, to a larger extent 
than, uh, than, in, than in American law, than in civil law, as we'll see in a second. So that's number one. Number two, B was saying, is if the scammer had a legitimate, legitimate partnership, it means let's say there was really a contractual obligation, we have a partnership, and there was real returns, which, by the way, initially, obviously yeah, that's how most Ponzi schemes work. Originally, they are giving you real returns, some, and then at some point, when he takes in too much money, he has to keep up his original 40% returns or whatever, 25% returns, so he starts taking other people's money. So, but originally there was a real contractual obligation. So at that point, right, so if there was a legitimate partnership with the investor, and then the investor used stolen funds to buy him out, or let's say there was a, I'm buying you out with, with stolen funds, and that's a real contractual, um, you know, uh, transaction. Okay, so in that case, then the investor can claim takanatashok. Now we can go back to that principle that we said before, which is the rectification of the market. That the rabbi said, even though technically the original owner still owns it, um, but since we're concerned about commerce, this is already considered commerce in that situation. Because if if you do have a legitimate contractual obligation with each other, with the scammer, so then then it would be commerce, and then technically the the original owner would not be able to be able to come to the third party to get back his funds, is what we're saying. Um, thus in contrast, and this is where you're saying, because in number C says, thus in contrast to civil law, even principal payments accepted in good faith may be clawed back, because when it comes to the clawback laws, as far as I understand, in, in the United States, the clawback laws only allow you to take the above your principal. You can't take back your principal. According to this, you'd even be allowed to take back your principal. The original party, what we're saying is if there was a legitimate transaction, then you can even go back and claw back on the principal, which is much broader than American law, and that's it. Wow. Okay? So that's, that's very important. Now, there's another important concept. Okay, you good so far? Yeah, we're doing. Did you invest with Madoff? No. Sure? Alan, David, big, yeah. the big markets here. I mean. I know, uh, Alan, Alan, Alan. Yeah, that's why, that's why you should have been here today. We meant to say he's with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, so now so there's another fascinating concept within Jewish law. David's not going to like this one either, which is called Yush. Okay, yeah, you're familiar with Yush from Nachman of Brussels, the spear. Um, I'd say it's, it's used in today uh, in other contexts of you know don't despair. But here there's a concept in legal law, in, in tort law, of despairing, which means is normally, um, so I'll give you the case here. The case that Talmud talks about relevant to this, it says, first rule that if a person eats food that another person had stolen, so someone stole food, okay, then another person comes along and eats that food, not stealing it, with permission of the thief. Okay, so if the owner of the stolen food had not, had not yet despaired from retrieving them at the time the food was eaten, he can claim the value from either the thief or the person or the third party. Okay, that's what the Talmud says. It's codified in the Shulchan Aruch. So meaning, again, someone stole a bag of potato chips. Okay, no one's eating my potato chips today. Um, so someone stole some potato chips, and, uh, and, then, and then the third party comes, and with permission of the thief, eats the potato chips. Says the Shulchan Aruch, says the Kojush Law, he's a, the, the original owner of the potato chips can go and, and get it back, um, he can claim the value from either the thief or the third party. He can call him to Dintara. Doesn't need to. He can go and claim the money. Yeah. Okay? So, the understanding there is, and what the key point is that there was no despair. That means once the original owner gave up, um, despair means he, he, he realized he's never going to find it. 
Like, you know, when you're, when you're back stolen, when you're a kid, you know, you're never going to see it again. Or your car is stolen. You're never going to get, you know, you're never going to, once you, in your mind, you made the decision, you're never going to see give that. You give up hope. Okay, you're never going to see that item back again. Then, automatically, it belongs to the owner. You, you, lo you lost give possession. give up. Right. Don't give up. <laughs> okay, but 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 the fact of life is we usually do when things are stolen. You know, you're never gonna. Someone breaks into your home. You know, one maybe uh, two percent chance you're ever gonna see your things again. You wanna right. break his head if he breaks into his. Oh, that's Trump. We're not talking Trump here. Uh, no politics. Okay. <laughs> he, don't, he, don't, he don't play here. You should break his head if he breaks into your home. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Okay, so. I was just gonna say that one. Of the, the the other example is. You lose a $20 bill at the oh. rodeo carnival, and you give up ever hoping that you'll ever find that $20 well, bill depends. at the rodeo yeah, carnival. I don't want to be racist, but it depends yes. which night it is. Depends who's playing that night. Depends the, on it. No, it's, it's like too many people all together. Um, I don't know, man. I've seen those videos about 20 times personally. I'm returning the money and the people get their money. Yeah, I've, I've returned it at the baseball field where I found I, I've returned it. Literally, field. Yeah, I still find money. I, 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 I put it to the, the the snack bar people. I said, hey, put it. You know, if someone comes and says they lost it, yes, right? And they're taking it up. And they're taking it up. They're buying beer with it. You're not you're not taping it to a wall and saying whoever lost. I'm 160 dollars in the JCC parking lot one time. So anyway, well, JCC is uh, would that be uh, where you lose despair? Right. So exactly. So I'm really saying right. So that's the classical yeah, case. Just because they, they just because they despaired it and they've written it off doesn't mean they can't get it back. No. It just no. Means that Jewish law. That's what Amelia's pointing out. Jewish law. The law is you find something technically you have to return it. But if it's at the if it's something if it's let's right, say okay. let's say I lose my my phone. Okay. I lose my iPhone. So so. This is traceable, so if someone finds it, they can look up. It says, you know, the owner. They, there's a I good chance. One second, one second. There's a good chance that they're gonna find me. So I don't give up hope. I never find this. Someone might be nice. They see my number and they're gonna call me. I'll call my mother. Want to find someone number, right? What is that? But if I lose cash, if you lose cash, listen. If you lose cash, the point is, you know, as the rodeo, like I'm saying, you you give up immediately. You know, you never know because if someone finds it, there's no way they're gonna find you, even if they're nice. Okay, so you're never gonna get it back. So therefore, at that point, it changes ownership to whoever found it. The, once you despair, once you give up hope, but and legally it changes ownership. As the, owner, as the owner, if I find a hundred dollars laying on the ground at JC parking lot, as the owner, you pick I can then decide I want to give it to the receptionist oh, to wait sure. for the, to wait until decide to place. give it to your mother. But, that, but you're the owner of that when you do it. You're I no longer the finder. Right, so the JC party lot might be different. It's a private property. It's just all Jews, and we know each other. You know, no, you, it's easier to find. But same. I'm saying, if you find the rodeo, there's hundred, you know, seventy thousand people. It, it probably very seldom happens. This particular question. So, it could be, but we still got all day, every day. People leave their wallets, okay. and phones all day, every day. So now, my daughter loses money. My 14 year old daughter loses money all the time. That's why I'm going to do it. 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 I'm the to do it. I'm going 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 to do anyone knew that there was any scheme going on. So I'm, the assumption is it's clean money. I'm doing it in good faith. I wasn't even aware there's a scheme. So thus the client certainly has not disappeared. If no one knows there's a scheme yet, obviously the guy's not giving up on his money. The original investor, meaning there's multiple investors here. 
So one, so since he hasn't the spirit of, uh, of retrieving his assets, he can claim his money from either the thief, who's the investor that's made off, or the third party, or the charity he was given to. Okay, he has a right to now go back to the charity, um, to whatever it was, Yeshiva University, the JCC, and say, I want back my money, according to Jewish. Yes. Um, as long as there's no despair. But once there was, once the scam was known, and the person was still accepting, you know, the original investor found out something fishy is going on here. So even if the receiver, by the way, even the, the third party who's getting it didn't know, but the fact is he might have given up. He heard there's a scam and uh, there's no way you're going to catch him. The millions of dollars are gone. So once he despairs, again, Yush, at that point he would not be able to go to the third party because he basically relinquished his rights of ownership at that point with his despair. Okay, wow. also now, um, now this gets back to what Elliot and Alan were talking about before. Now the problem is there's a one major problem with all of this that once you put it in a bank account, so according to many opinions, it's now, again, it's now a new owner. Um, because as I said here, number seven, it says all only relevant where investor gave cash and scammer delivered the cash to others. Once deposited in the investor's account, so again, it's like Sheener, like we discussed before, it's changing, it's like pimping up the car. The fact that it's now, besides, it, there was no material change technically, but once the money's in a bank account, what was the word you used before, Elliot? It's, uh, it's co-mingled, intermingled. It's no longer traceable. Right. So once the past in the investor's account, like Sheena, where a stolen object has changed hands or changed form, in which case, case the thief has to compensate the victim, but the object is considered the thief's property. So at that point um, where he actually is put the money, the investor's money into account, um, so now, according to most opinions, uh, in Jewish law, it would be considered commingled, and I no longer have an obligation to give him back that cash. So now when I'm paying that cash to a third party, it's really that it belongs to that third party. The, the original owner can't come and claim that cash from the third party in the Ponzi scheme, okay, according to Jewish law. Um, so the charity has no legal relationship to the investor. So the investor who, who lost his money with Madoff can now go to Yeshiva University and say, I want back my million dollars, even though they received that million dollars. Because it's not that, that's the point, because it's not that million dollars that they received. They received a million dollars from Madoff. They didn't receive that guy's million dollars, because that guy's million dollars went into a bank account and was commingled with millions of other dollars, and then it was paid out, and then So if they got that Madoff million and put it in a separate trust, then, afford, then they could get that million back because it was specifically traceable. Uh, that specific, uh, a direct flow through. Maybe. Not really. Maybe. Not in, well, not in Jewish law. Right. Well, in a lot of cases, even though there may be a separate um, fund named fund, the money is all commingled when it's invested by the charity. No, with the bank. But if it's in the bank, the bank doesn't segregate right, the, the bank money. Right, the bank coming. Let's say, let's say it's in a private fund. They could set up a separate bank account for each fund. It's still the no, money. No, it's still coming. He's right. I think, but let's say you, you have a private <laughs> banker, a private guy, you know, who's Unless managing you your funds. So has some kind of private fund that might be different. So it's like you put it into a private hedge fund, and it's only his money in that private hedge fund. So that might be different because there's no other monies. I don't that. I don't know how that works. That's a good point. Okay, so now, so all this at the end of the day would sound like, because obviously most of these cases you're not dealing with cash, okay, so it would sound like clawback would not be relevant, but, and this is something we discussed in the past, this is a key, um, key principle in Jewish law known as dina de malchuta dina, which means Jewish law in many cases respects the law of the land. That means as long as the law of the land doesn't contradict, we're talking about in tort, within tort law, when you're dealing with monetary law, the law of the land doesn't contradict 
Torah law, so then um, we go with the law of the land. We, we see to the law of the land. If there's a contradiction, you know, if the law of the land says you have to have you have to eat pork, we don't say you can eat pork because the law of the land. Okay, um, but what we're saying is is when there's no contradiction, it's a, it's a monetary law. Um, specifically, some say it's only limited to government law, um, where the government it's between man and government. Let's say tax law, but but not limited. Most opinions say it's relevant to all, to all tort law, even between two private parties. That means if two private parties have an issue and there's no the Torah the, the Torah doesn't address this issue or says that. So in that case, we might cede to the law of the land. So that's what I put down here. If you read it, it says the Ramah rules in the Shulchan Aruch in number 8. He says, now it is customary to return any stolen item, even after the owner, the owner despaired, and has changed possession. So even, meaning, even if I pay, pimp up David's car, according to this, he still can get back his car by force of the law of the land. Again, I don't know what the American law is. Who's Ramah? Ramah. He's, if, you ever been to Krakow, Poland? You visited Krakow? No. No? Never been to Krakow? So in, he's buried there. He was the Ashkenazi amender to the Code of Jewish Law, okay. the Karish Code of Jewish Law. Okay. You're like Trump. You don't like one answer, just find another rabbi. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so that's what the Ramah says. The Ramah says we would cede to the law of the land. In this case, what we're saying is since America does have clawback laws currently, um, therefore if the clawbacks, the clawback regulations say that we have a right to go to the charity and get back the money, which in many of these cases happening today they do, say that, so then we'd see, according to this, we'd say, see to the law of the land. Um, there's another interesting law I found relevant to this, which is uh, banking protocol law, in American law today, which is um, standard contemporary banking protocols stipulate that when a person deposits money into his account, the bank receives the money on behalf of the true owner. Okay, that's the, that's banking laws, American banking laws say that. That means when you're making a deposit, the bank is receiving the money on behalf of whoever the owner is. So if you're not the owner, if it, let's say it's stolen funds, technically they're receiving on behalf of the person who was stolen from. I don't know how that plays out and the ramifications of that in, in court, meaning when mm -hmm. you're trying to retrieve funds, but that, that officially is the law. So it means according to this banking protocol, when you're depositing, if I'm depositing stolen funds in the bank, Madoff is going and, and cashing money that doesn't belong to him into his account, into the fund account, so it really still belongs whoever he took the money from. If he's stealing that money from the original investor, so that money technically still belongs, even though it's in the bank, belongs to the original investor. Okay. It's like a trust. They hold it in trust for the original investor. Right. So practically, I don't know how that plays out, but I'm saying relevant to Jewish law, according to that, so then, then technically you can, the third party can go to the bank and now and retrieve, and you know, if he claims the money was stolen from him, he's able to prove it. And again, I don't know how he say that this is his money per se, but let's say there's millions of dollars in there for multiple investors, so they have a right to go and say this money is ours, according to what we're saying, according to this banking protocol. So, um, so you know, it would go back to what Rav Chesta said. You know, technically, we go back to what we quoted in number five, which is it would depend on despair. As long as the person didn't despair, it still belongs to the original owner, and the third party can go and retrieve the money. Okay, so this is obviously a very complicated situation. I just want to address for a minute the, the, the other, the real question, which is what happens when you have a charity put up a name of the donor on the institution, okay, whether it's the JCC, wow. the camp, and now it's, now the money is realized and it was stolen funds. So do they have to now remove the name of that person? How does that work? Well, charity shouldn't put up anybody's names. <laughs> what, you say everyone's, names. everything's huh? stolen funds? Sound if like there's, one, there, there's one bad guy out there, don't put any names. 
I'm not just asking, I'm posing the question. I'm not oh, sure the answer. Right. No, no, it's meaning, saying. would they have to legal? No, it's according to Jewish law. Again, I'm discussing, do they have to take that name off? Is it okay to keep that name up there if that guy, um, you know, that money wasn't so... If he recognized... Thank you.